You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good to see everybody. Uh, thank you again for bearing with me last week as I was uh, not doing well. Um, I'm feeling much better now. My voice is almost recovered. Uh, that song, Hallelujah for the Cross, is really high, and it was really uh, testing how well my voice was doing today, um, but it was a, a pleasure to lead worship, and the worship team, as always, is fantastic. Amen? Amen. Yeah. We are so blessed to have them. They are fantastic. Really, really great, so thank you guys. Um, continuing our series in 1 Corinthians this week, we are jumping back into it uh, after taking a, a brief hiatus last week, um, but we are back in our series in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 15. If you're following along in your Bibles today, you can open up there. We're seeing Paul have this conversation with the church at Corinth, that there was a lot of issues going on, a whole lot of bad things happening. And here we get to the end of the book. We've almost made it, guys. Don't worry. We're almost done. We make it to the end of 1 Corinthians, and it's, it's really cool what Paul decides to kind of end on. Chapter 16 is, is really just kind of his like, all right, hope to see you soon. Hope everything's going good. Talk to you later. You know, like when you go to see family and you, the process of leaving their house takes about 15 minutes. You all know what I'm talking about? Anybody else? I know that's my family. Like Maddie is like, we need to leave by this time. So that means we need to start leaving 15 minutes sooner because otherwise we will be late. And so that's, that's what happens is you got this kind of, so that's what we're going to get to in a couple of weeks is, is Paul's goodbyes. But for now, the last kind of thing he is bringing up to the church at Corinth is here what we see in chapter 15. A couple of weeks ago, we, we spent times talking about spiritual gifts and we saw Paul talk about what those are, what their role of, what the role of them is for the church. And then the even more importance that there is on love and that that's what we're called to do is to love. And so he takes this last, this last chunk here to kind of recenter the church at Corinth on the gospel. He's like, let me just pull you back in. Let's rein it all back in and let's talk about the gospel. So picking up in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ raised, sorry, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I want to pause there and remind us that when he's talking about scriptures, he's not talking about the, the physical New Testament because they didn't have that yet. He's talking about prophesied. He's saying, of what was prophesied, this is what he did. Picking up in, in, uh, in verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to, to me also as to one abnormally born. Uh, or, or he also is saying untimely born, as some uh, translations say. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his, and his grace to me was not without effect. 
No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet I, but the, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Paul starts off kind of countering off against false teachers. There are false teachers who are coming and he's like, look, first of all, let me remind you of the truth of the gospel. And then he kind of takes a pause and he, he, he goes, goes into this kind of spiel about his own self, right? He starts talking about his role as an apostle and, and his credentials, if you will, of being an apostle. The, the people at Corinth needed to understand that Paul was absolutely an eyewitness to Jesus. He was an eyewitness to Jesus. And, and he says this not for his own pride, although sometimes what Paul says can come across as prideful, right? He's like, I worked harder than everybody. And he's like, but not me, it was God, right? He's kind of like, well, okay, not me, I guess. But Paul is, is, is giving them his authority. This is a really important thing when it comes to, to who you listen to is the authority. If I got up here every week and I just kind of like, second-guessed myself, and I was like, I mean, maybe, I think this is what it is, and, and if, if I didn't really have, the sound like I didn't know what I was talking about, it probably would be hard to receive a message from someone who spoke like that, right? There's a certain amount of authority that you give to me as the speaker, that you coming every single week to hear what I have to say, there's a certain amount of authority that is necessary. And so that's what Paul is pointing out, is he's pointing out his own authority, it's important to, for people to feel like there is authority behind who is bringing the message. I don't preach from my own authority, right? Like, I don't get up here and just say, here's all this really cool stuff that I have learned on my own and in my own knowledge. No, my authority comes from Scripture. The best stuff of what I'm going to talk to you about ever up here is the Scripture, is the stuff that you already have. That's the best part. That's where my authority comes from, is just my belief that this stuff is true, and I'm just going to talk to you about what's already in there, right? Like, y'all don't come because it's like, he, he's the smartest guy I've ever met. Probably not, right? It's from the authority that is in Scripture. Authority is important. And Paul is saying that his authority as an apostle came from God, that he was an eyewitness to Jesus. It's not just that he studied up a lot and knew what these guys were talking about. He's saying, I was here. I persecuted the church. They have a higher standard because they were eyewitnesses to it. Have you guys ever heard anybody talk about a movie that they've never seen? It's weird, right? It's weird to hear somebody be like, oh man, that movie, it was great, all this stuff. And it's like, well, did you see it? No, no, I didn't see it, but like, I know a lot of people who saw it. And like, I've, I've seen a couple of reviews and I've heard it was really good. And it's like, but you didn't see it. Like you... How can I trust you as like a firsthand source? What's funny is I actually wrote in here that when I wrote the message for the first week that I was like, if you ask me if I've seen the new Batman movie, I can't tell you much about it because I haven't seen it. But then I went and saw it this week. So like that whole illustration just went out the window. You just have to imagine with me of someone who has not seen a movie that's trying to tell you how great or how bad this movie is and then tells you, but I've never actually seen it, Right? The weight carries a lot more when your source is somebody who has seen it. When your source is somebody who has seen it. You can read other people's reviews, but that's different than seeing it yourself. And so Paul is not only explaining his qualifications, but he's saying, look, and, and I will tell you that I am the lowest on the totem pole. 
What's really interesting to me is that, that Paul was um, probably, we don't have like his birthday in scripture, right? Like it doesn't say Paul's birthday was June 8th, right? Like nobody, we don't know. Um, so Paul was probably about the same age as Jesus. Paul was probably about the same age as Jesus. And, and that's actually the only thing that I don't love about uh, the TV series, The Chosen, that we've been watching on Wednesday nights, is that the disciples are honestly a little too old for what the agreed upon theological understanding of how old the disciples would have been. The disciples were probably closer to 15 to 16 years old. The disciples were, were high school students. And so Paul, being about the same age as Jesus, that's why he says, I was one untimely born. Is It's like he was too old to be one of the 12. He was too old to be someone who was following in line with Jesus, and he had already established himself as, as pretty high up in, in Jewish authorities, as, as a Pharisee. And he's like, man, if only I were born a little bit younger and maybe I could have seen it. Maybe I wouldn't have been so set in my ways already that I could have seen and I could have followed Jesus. And so Paul is saying like, look, I'm less than they are because, because I was born at the wrong time. He's like, sadly, I didn't get to follow Jesus while he was here, but I was around. I knew what was going on. And then obviously he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He physically encountered Jesus, and that's why he is counted and why he gets the credential of being an apostle, an eyewitness follower of Jesus. So he's saying, look, I didn't have what they had. I did have to work a little bit harder to understand everything I understand. But praise God that he worked in me to get me here. So that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Corinth, is to, to reaffirm to them that he has the authority to tell them about the gospel because he saw it. Then he continues. He says, uh, sorry, sorry, jumping back to what he says. He, that's why he reinforces the importance of the gospel. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, this is his, his reinforcing, his pointing back toward the gospel with his last part of this letter to Corinth. He's saying, look, let me just point you back to what is of first importance. Let me point you back to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he conquered our sins. And so he writes these things also in part because there were false teachers. There were false teachers trying to teach that there was no resurrection from the dead. They're trying to kind of discredit all of the gospel, that there is no resurrection from the dead. And he, he looks into a, uh, he gives a fantastic logical argument. I love that about Paul. Frequently, he is very logical in his thinking, which I relate to. So he establishes, first of all, the historical accuracy. He's like, look, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to James. He appeared to 500 people at the same time. So he's like, this is not something that we just all made up and agreed on. Like, this is something that actually happened. You can go ask the people because they're still living. He's setting up this like, look, Jesus did resurrect from the dead. And that's important for my next part. So let's hop back in to where he, where he picks up in, uh, in verse 12. He says, but if I preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, when we, when we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been, risen, been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He uses this logic against those who doubt the resurrection. There are people who are, who are saying there is, you can't raise from the dead. Once you're dead, you're dead. The end is just done. And he's like, look, that can't be true because we saw Jesus do it. And if you're saying that there is no afterlife, then we can't be raised from the dead. Then all of this whole stuff is just completely made up. There's no point in believing in Jesus. So you can't say, I believe in Jesus and also that there is no resurrection of the dead. You can't be a Christian and deny the resurrection because without the resurrection, it's all pointless. Our faith is worthless if none of that happened. And then Paul says one of my favorite things. I love this idea that Paul presents of, of the idea of Adam and, and paralleling it with Jesus. That because of Adam, we all die, but in Christ, we are made alive. And he goes into a much bigger um, kind of exposition on this in Romans that I want to read. Because again, I just love it. It's a little bit of a tangent. Just bear with me. It's good stuff. In Romans chapter 5, verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also the disobedience of the one man, of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Just like that, the, through the sin of Adam, we have death. Through the death of Jesus, we have life. That is such a beautiful truth this morning. That, that we see in Adam that humans on our own, all we can do is bring death. That's all we can do. That's all we are capable of. It took God coming down in human form to give us life. 
to put that, to replace what Adam did with life. It's a beautiful explanation of the gospel. It's something that we have to start with, especially in our, in our world and our culture that, that we've forgotten this idea that everybody sins, that the starting point is sin. And what the world has done has told us that we are all born good. And we're not. The simple truth of it is we are not born good. My two-year-old daughter was not born good. And it's pretty apparent the more time you spend with her, when she bites you or when she hits you in the face, because you're not going to give her gummies right now, which is probably a flashback to all of you who remember Zeke loving gummies. Now Libby has entered this phase where she loves gummies and will hit you if you do not give them. People are not born good. We're born dead. We're born into sin because of Adam. And we have to remember that starting point. Because see, to the world around us, they're going to say, what do I need Jesus for? I'm doing fine. I'm fine. My, what I have determined is my way of life is good enough. And we have to say, no, 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 no. On our own, through our birth, we can't do anything. We're stuck, dead in sin. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus, this thing that sounds impossible, right? This thing that to the world, they're like, what do you mean somebody raised from the dead? You can't do that. That is what gives us life. It was through one man we have death, but from God we have life that conquers death. Going back to 1 Corinthians, picking back up with that same verse, chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When, the, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that that does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. What an encouraging message about the end. Amen? What an encouraging reminder for us. That as people all around us are going to be pointing us to the end and we got to be ready and we got to pay attention and... We all a lot of times put our trust in the government, in institutions, thinking that they will do things well or that they will take care of us or that this, this is not going to fail. But Jesus is going to come and destroy all dominion and authority and power. The bottom line is Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Isn't that great news? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because Jesus wins. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is more to come. Jesus has not only conquered death, but also everything else. That there is no authority or power that exists that Jesus can't overcome. 
There is nothing that will stand when Jesus is done. Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11. Paul says at that, that at the time... Sorry, I'm excited. Whew, calm down. <laughs> that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and at every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the winning team. So why do we get so wrapped up and put so much effort into things that are going to bow down to him anyway? We put a lot of effort into the losing team. I understand that. I'm a Falcons fan. (laughs) Why do we get so wrapped up in opinions and governments and ideals that are just going to end up bowing down at the feet of our resurrected king? Let's just skip the middleman. Go straight to him. Put our effort into his kingdom instead of these losing kingdoms. Let's stop submitting and lifting up these losing teams and instead lift up, root for, campaign for, loudly support the king who will reign over all. Because when we put our effort into other kingdoms, it's just a waste of time. Because they're going to end up bowing down to him anyway. Everything will enter back into being part of the kingdom of God. And that's what we should be building. Because the kingdom of God is not earthly kingdoms. I think that's what we have gotten confused about. And we have misunderstood this this phrase, the kingdom of God. The United States of America is not the kingdom of God. This world is not the kingdom of God. What we are doing That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God are those who have come back into to submit under the king of God. Who have come and said, you know what? I am submitting to him and him alone. The kingdom of God are those who have received salvation freely given by the creator of the universe. And live their lives submitting to his authority. Living their lives as a response to the salvation and radically loving the people around us. Proclaiming the gospel to them. That is the kingdom of God. It's not these institutions that we try to build up. It's not this this organization. It's not a set of ideals. It's not a morality. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God are those people who are submitting to Jesus as king. Outside of that, it's all just going to bow down eventually. Continuing in chapter 15, verse 29, Paul continues this, this argument. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead. The dead are not raised at all. Why are people baptized for them? I'm going to pause here. We're not really getting into that. Nobody really understands why he said this. This is not a process that we do regularly is the baptism of the dead. It's something that maybe the church at Corinth did. Not a whole lot of application for us. Sorry, I'm not going to baptize you guys for the dead up here. You're going to have to find another pastor to do that because I don't understand it. We're not doing that. But continuing the line of thought here. And as for us, Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. How many of you guys have heard that phrase or maybe even used it on your kids of bad company corrupts good character? Anybody, y'all, y'all familiar with this phrase? What I think is interesting about this phrase is this is not, you see there's quotation marks around it. Paul's not actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting a poem by a Greek philosopher. Because what had happened is that there were these philosophers who this is where the idea of no resurrection from the dead came is from these Greek philosophers. And I know to us, like, we can, we can learn a lot from people who are smart and not saved, right? Like there's a lot of people who are very smart and don't know God, and we can learn a lot of things from them. But what Paul is saying is don't go to those people for spiritual advice, right? Because just like there are a lot of people today who will tell you that there is no resurrection from the dead, that they will say that in order to believe in some sort of afterlife, you would have to be gullible, if you, if you think that there is a heaven, if you believe in, in God, that, that you, you're not intelligent. And this was the idea that was being portrayed. And so that's why it's kind of funny that Paul is like, I'm going to quote one of those guys because that's, that's a good thing to think of. Bad company corrupts good character. If you go after these guys that, that this is what they're teaching, you're not going to have good character. If you're taking your spiritual advice from these guys, you're going to end up missing the point almost using their own logic against them. And I think the thing we can take away from this is to consider the source. I want you guys to consider the source of any information that you are taking in. Understand, put it through a filter of who is telling me this and why should I trust them. It goes all the way back to Paul's authority that we established at the beginning of this chapter. Consider the source of who is telling you these things. Garbage cans are extremely useful, right? Have you ever been somewhere and it's like you're all eating and you don't know where the garbage can is and you just kind of wander around with trash for a little bit, right? Garbage cans are extremely useful, but I wouldn't eat out of one, right? Don't eat out of a garbage can. A garbage can is a useful thing, but it's not useful to get food out of. Similarly, don't try to learn things about your belief system from people who don't believe in your belief system. Does that make sense? The people who don't believe in God don't go to them for spiritual advice. You wouldn't go to your friends on Facebook for medical advice, I hope. You wouldn't go to your pastor for car problems, especially not this pastor. Just buy a new one. I don't know. Throw it away. Probably bad. You wouldn't go to our hairdresser for construction tips. Don't go to someone who doesn't believe in God to help you in your walk with God. Understand that you need to get specific information from specific people. If you want medical advice, go to a doctor. If you have car problems, go to a mechanic. If you need construction tips, also don't go to your pastor. Go to some go to a construction worker person. I don't know. I should know that because I would pay those people to do things that I don't know how to do. 
It's not their expertise. And Paul is saying if they don't even believe in the resurrection, they aren't on the same page at all. Don't get your theology from these people. Where are you getting your spiritual information? Don't just take someone's word for it. Research it for yourself. Allow your ultimate source to be Scripture and the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that Paul brings up this idea that he's like, you can trust me because I've risked my life for this. That everything I have ever done is because of the gospel, so you can trust me when I'm talking about it. The gospel was Paul's reason for everything. And what happened is that they were, they were forsaking his word. They were forsaking what he had told them because of somebody who didn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. He's like, why are you taking their advice? Do you not know how hard I've worked to get you the gospel? If you understood that, you wouldn't be listening to these people. And the goal is for you to eventually become that source. The goal is for you to eventually become that source. Believe it or not, you are the only representation most of the people in your life will get of Jesus. They see you wearing a Clouds Creek t-shirt and suddenly you represent Jesus to them. They see got Jesus on your bumper sticker and suddenly you represent Jesus to them. Be careful with the sign language you're putting out your window when you have a Jesus fish on your bumper sticker. What are we showing people about us as a source? What are you showing people as a source of spiritual information? Are you someone who values truth? Are you someone who is kind? People knew Paul believed what he preached. It was apparent in how he lived. One of the things that pushes the world away the most is hypocrisy. Is that what's happened is that we as people who should become the source are not living in a way that lets the, the truth permeate every aspect of our lives. One thing that I've been thinking about this week, I've just been in prayer and just thinking and talking with God, is what's happened is that immature Christians, what we do is we silo our lives. What we do is we silo our lives. We put different things into these different containers so that they don't touch each other, right? So it's like I've got, I've got my, uh, my, my money silo. I've got my entertainment silo. Uh, I've got my family silo. I've got my job silo. I've got my church silo. I've got my friends silo. And none of these things have anything to do with each other, right? My family doesn't watch the same stuff I do. They don't listen to the same music I do. Uh, I don't care if my friends know who I am at church. Uh, I don't, they don't, nobody knows what I do with my money. These things have all become these little different pockets of our lives. And, and what needs to happen is if we are to be mature, believing Christians, we have to unsilo our lives and let everything come together to be enmeshed in Jesus. 
We have to let Jesus be in every single one of those areas of our lives. And what happens is the more that we mature, the more that we grow, the more we put Jesus into these other things, the more we say, you know what, you can be in charge of my entertainment silo that I know that I probably should be, shouldn't, I probably shouldn't be spending as much time listening to this music or watching these movies. I probably shouldn't even watch this TV show. Um, but you know what, I'm not going to keep you out of this. And this is just my thing, right? What happens is as we become mature believers, we say, no, this is your silo, this is your silo, this is your silo, this is your silo. Everything I do with my friends, everything I, I talk about with my family, everything I do at my job, everything I watch, everything I, I spend my money on, everything that comes out of my mouth, how I drive, all of this, how I parent, how I interact with strangers, I have one source. I have one God who I am letting have all of this. Because when it comes to who you're going to listen to for spiritual advice, are you more likely to listen to somebody who, who is siloed? I talked about this in Sunday school this morning that if I acted one way on stage and then I got off the stage and was a totally different person, it would be really hard for you guys to take me seriously, wouldn't it? But don't we do the same thing? Don't we act one way at church? Don't we act like, like when we're singing these songs on Sunday mornings, we're worshiping him and we're telling Jesus, please take me deeper than I could ever go on my own. Take me somewhere that I have no idea what I'm doing. And then when we walk out the door, all of a sudden, we just want to be comfortable. I don't, I don't want you to take me deeper than my feet could wander because I might drown and I'm not going to lean on you for that. But we'll stand in here and we'll sing it. We'll sing it. I think we sang it four times, maybe, maybe eight times, I think we say it in, in that song. You sang it eight times today. Is that what you're going to do when you walk out? Are you going to live your life that way? Or are we going to continue to silo ourselves so that when the world sees us wearing a Clouds Creek t-shirt or, or when, when our neighbor sees us out in the yard and they know that we're gone every Sunday morning and all of a sudden we're a jerk to them about how far they cut their grass or where they parked their car, what are we communicating to them as a source? Eventually, you and I are supposed to become the source the deeper that we go with Christ, the more we have to let it become part of our everything. It can't just be Sundays and Wednesdays. We are ambassadors of Christ and we represent him to the people around us. Are we living like Paul? Paul who says, look, you know me. Everything I do is for the sake of the gospel. I've risked my life for the gospel, I put myself in danger just for the purpose of spreading the gospel. When people looked at Paul, he was a trusted source because it impacted every area of his life. Is Jesus the reason that we wake up in the morning? Are we someone that lives in a way where people would say, I'm not trust that, that person knows how good God is. Are we people who understand, as we talked about earlier, that Jesus wins anyway? And why on earth would we put our effort into anything else? 
Jesus wins. Amen? Let's go out and let's live like people who are focused on building the kingdom of God and not these other things, not ourselves, not, our, not any other organization or group of people, but building up the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of the resurrection. God, I thank you that we can know that you gave your life as the, the punishment to, to, to accept and to be our replacement for our consequences. The consequences of our sin were carried out on you. And you didn't just stay dead, you raised again. That you came back to life. And, and it wasn't just that you came back to life and, and went into heaven, but God, you came back to life and then you showed people, look what I did. I defeated death. There is no victory in death because of Jesus. God, I praise you for that truth. Let us be people who live building the kingdom of God over everything else. Understanding that at the end of the day, you're what's going to win. You win over all, everything, every person, every organization, every authority, every ruler, every power will bow at the feet of a resurrected king. And let that be what motivates us in every aspect of our lives, that we would surrender every part of us to you because it's going to surrender anyway. Let us be people who love our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And let us love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.